I am. There we go. All right, we're good to go. Thanks. All right, it's good to see everybody again. uh, Take your Bible or your phone and find Luke chapter 2, if you would. This this just doesn't feel... uh, Who knew we would have Florida weather on Christmas Eve? Man, this this just doesn't feel like it from what I'm used to being a Midwestern guy, but I'm thankful that you're here. Um, Pastor Chuck Riddle and his wife Alicia are here. Chuck is a pastor of uh, family and discipleship ministries at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Overland Park, and they grew up in this church, so it's good to have... There you are. I couldn't find you. I saw you before, and I thought maybe they just left, but... um, (laughs) It's, it's good to see you, good to see you back there, so thanks for being here tonight. I'm going to read these verses and then we're going to get started. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now imagine if we gathered here tonight and the band came up on the platform just like it was a normal Sunday morning. And Nathan said, welcome to West Haven. We're going to sing some hymns about the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he looks over at Jack and Jack just has this blank look on his face. (laughs) Yeah, I was taking a crack at him. Jack looks at my wife, Tara. Tara looks at Gail. Gail looks at Elena. Elena looks at Ann. And then everyone looks at Nathan. And he says, oh, that's right. There are no hymns about the birth of Jesus. So I jump up and say, well, let's read the Christmas story. And I grab a Bible, but it's about two-thirds the size of this because there is no Christmas story. Christmas never happened. And because Christmas never happened, Jesus was never born. Therefore, there is no New Testament because the New Testament is about Jesus. And because Christmas never happened, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah are still unfulfilled. Isaiah 7:14. therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Hasn't happened. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, not yet. Micah 5, 2, for out of you, Bethlehem, there will be one born who is the ruler over Israel. Still waiting. And if Christmas never happened, then the consequences for all of humanity would be devastating. Because Christmas never came, there would be no restraint on the sin of man. Sin would be on steroids. Christianity helped form Western civilization. In ancient Greece and Rome, if a child was unwanted, they just set it outside and let it die. If a father wanted a son and got a daughter, he might just kill her. People were killed by wild animals for entertainment in in public venues, and Christians and Christian values finally eradicated that. It established governments on the basis that all men were created equal. It was Christians, especially William Wilberforce in Britain, who abolished slavery. And of the first 100 cottages that were built in America, 88 were expressly built to propagate the gospel, including Harvard, Brown, Princeton, and Yale. Not only that, if Christmas never happened, there would be no teaching about blessing those who curse us, turning the other cheek, or being at peace with your neighbor. We'd have no promise of peace or joy. We wouldn't have the hope of Jesus going to prepare a place for us. There will be no one on whom to cast our burdens. We would know almost nothing about genuine love. We'd only have the world's mixed-up backwards definition of love. How sad it would be if Christmas never happened. For just a few moments, if you'll stay with me tonight, I want you to consider a few more consequences 
about what life would be like if Christmas never happened. First, if Christmas never happened, God would be unknowable. Romans chapter 1 says we can know there is a God by looking at creation, but we couldn't personally know him. God is beyond our reach. Job 36, 26 says, Behold, God is exalted, and we do not know him. But John 1.18 says, The one and only Son, who is himself God, and sits at the Father's hand, Jesus has revealed him to us. Jesus revealed God to us. The only way to personally know God is through Jesus. But if Jesus hadn't been chosen to become, if he hadn't chosen, excuse me, let me try that again. If God had not chosen to become human flesh, had he not been born of a virgin, had he not come to suffer for our sins, we would never know God or what he's like. If Christmas never happened, God would be unknowable, and if Christmas never happened, your heart would be unsatisfied. Mankind is incurably religious. We all worship someone or something. Men have always worshipped the same things. Gold and silver, the stars and the sun, sex, self, and sports, people, games, and popularity. I don't think I missed a single category. Maybe I did. Mankind was created to worship, and God created you with an inner hunger for Jesus. You may be trying to fulfill it with other things, but you have an inner hunger that only Jesus can fill. But if Christmas never happened, your heart would be unsatisfied. And if Christmas never happened, your heart would also be unsettled. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. Now, that's a problem because for many people, worry is a skill set. I mean, it could be on a resume. And worry is sinful, and the flesh is really good at it. Well, why is it sin? Because in order to worry, you have to remove faith in Jesus and place your faith in yourself or other people or in the things of this world. Worry is climbing up to God's place on the throne of your heart, and there was an angel named Lucifer who did something similar. He wasn't satisfied in being a cherubim who reflected God's glory. He wanted to climb onto God's throne and take God's place. He wanted to be worshipped like God, and instead of God, he was cast down and became Satan. So Philippians 4, 6 says, Let your requests be made note unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is not the absence of problems. You have them from womb to tomb. Peace is never the absence of problems, but peace is the presence of Jesus. But if Christmas never happened, we wouldn't have him with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. So if Christmas never happened, our hearts would be unsettled. And if Christmas never happened, the good news would be unpreachable. Look again at verse 10. The angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior. If Christmas never happened, there would be no good news of great joy to preach. The best news you will ever hear is that the Savior came to save you from your sins. And many of you know that and you believe that, but for some of you, maybe you're here, maybe you're just watching online, this is the saddest time of year. And that kind of thing seems to be on the increase. And for all of us, death is coming at us like a freight train in a tunnel. The Bible, Bible says we're a vapor, you're just a mist that disappears. This is all bad news, obviously. 
But if Christmas never happened, there would be no good news to overcome it. The good news of hope could not be preached. Any joy you have in life would be fleshly and temporal. Gone like that. Without hope, you'd live a life of despair. Without the good news that Jesus came to save us from our sins, we'd have no purpose. We would live life on the level of an animal, just trying to eke out as much pleasure as possible until we got too old to do any of that, and then we die, and it's all over. And five years later, because we live for ourselves, most people don't even know we existed. How dismal it would be if Christmas never happened. And if Christmas never happened, then our sins could not be forgiven. Verse 11. A Savior. He's one who came to save us from our sins. It's our sin that separates us from God. If Christmas never happened, then when you die, your resurrected body would go to a lake of fire because your sins could not be forgiven. And therefore, if Christmas never happened, heaven would be unreachable. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But how were people saved before Jesus came? I mean, you get these people in the Old Testament, and they were saved by believing what God said about the coming Messiah. In fact, the truth is, Jesus existed before the foundation of the world, but he came to this earth to Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem on Christmas. But if he never came, would we know anything about the promise of the coming Messiah? Would it have ever left Israel? Would it have ever gotten to us? I mean, if Christmas never happened, churches wouldn't exist. I certainly wouldn't be here talking tonight. The Word of God, it probably wouldn't have spread around the world. But Christmas did happen. It's an historical event. This isn't some tradition that we celebrate. This isn't some myth that happened. These are actual events that happened in human history. And because of that, there are three simple truths Number one, it brings a believer great joy. Verse 10, good news of great joy. That's the word mega. You know that word, megaphone, megabyte, mega Christmas dinner tomorrow. The announcement of the Savior brings great joy. That's because our sins do separate us from God. That's why we can't see God. That's why we can't know God. Sometimes a skeptic will say, well, how come I can't see God? Because if you saw God, you would vaporize because of your sin. A holy God will not be defiled by the presence of sin. And justice is one of God's attributes. So God, this is pure logic. God has to punish sinners. If he didn't, he would be a dishonest and unjust God. So we have to face God's wrath for our sins and be cast away from him forever. But Jesus came to take God's wrath away from us. As I said this morning, he never sinned, not once in word, thought, or deed. So he was a sinless sacrifice for us. God punished him for our sins. He didn't deserve it, but he stepped in our place. And as a result, the righteous wrath of God was satisfied. But because Jesus took God's wrath for us, he died. They entombed his body, but on the third day he rose again. That proves that what he said about dying and rising again wasn't empty talk or some kind of an insane man rambling. It proves that he was God in human flesh. 
And when he rose from that tomb, he conquered our chronic illness of sin. He defeated that fatal disease of death. And when our faith is in him and him alone and what he did on the cross, then our sins are forgiven now and forevermore. I think, in fact, I'm sure of this. Some people, maybe you tonight, I don't know. Some people think God is mad at them. Maybe life hasn't gone well and you blame God and you feel like reaching out for God would be like trying to grab a snake by the tail. But the truth is God loves you despite your problems. Life does not go well for many people. People in third world countries are hungry tonight. And it's not because God is mad at them. It's because of the sin of man. It's because of wicked governments. It's because of the greed of humanity and the insatiable desire that sinful man has for power and control that causes men to kill one another just so they can be in charge. The Savior came to forgive your rebellion against him and set you free from your sin. But there's something worse than thinking that God is mad at you. It's when life is great. You're prosperous. You got a lot of money. Your health's good. You enjoy doing what you do. And wealth is the greatest delusion, probably the greatest inhibitor to eternal life. It builds pride in a person. It builds presumption in a person. No matter your state in life, you still need to be free from your sin, and only Jesus can do that. And being free from this power and condemnation of sin is an unspeakable joy. I've gotten to the age in life, I wonder how many of you that are around my age, I'll let you guess, I told you this morning if you heard, but you live with some regret, right? You look back and you say, man, I wish I'd done this different, I, I wish I'd done that different. I can't imagine having my sins hanging over my head, not just the things I did wrong, but the sin that I committed against God. I can't imagine those things hanging over my head and there, there's no hope, no way to be forgiven of that. That's why Christmas is such great joy. It brings a believer great joy. It also brings a believer great peace. Verse 10, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men. And then a curious little phrase, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Well, who's he pleased with? Those who trust him as their Lord and Savior. Jesus is the prince of peace. But many today are agitated and worried and bothered and very afraid. God does not want you to live in fear. That's a theme that goes throughout the Christmas story. The Lord appeared to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father. An angel said to him, excuse me, I said the Lord, it should be an angel. He said, do not be afraid. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, do not be afraid. Gabriel said to Joseph, do not be afraid. Verses 9 and 10, the angel appears to the shepherds and says, do not be afraid. The devil traffics in fear. The human heart will never be perfect. There will always be an element of fear, but faith can always overcome fear. So over and over and over in the Bible, you hear, do not fear, for I am with you. And when Gabriel told Joseph about the son to be born to Mary, he said his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. You can have supernatural peace despite what's happening in your life. You find out you have a dread disease. He'll give you peace. I know about that one. There's a great tragedy. There's an accident. There's a death. You can still have peace. You'll have sadness and grief. It doesn't mean there's no peace. 
There's a peace that surpasses all of our human understanding. It's nothing we can talk ourselves into. It's a gift of God, and that's because Jesus came. The coming of Jesus brings great joy, great peace, and great faith. Faith is responding to God's word. In verse 10, an angel is giving the shepherds the good news of the gospel. But they could have heard that good news and then just went about their business, believing that announcement in their head, but never responding with faith, never doing anything about it. And the goal of Christmas is for every person who hears the message to respond with saving faith in Jesus. Now, here's an example of just, let me, let me use the word simple faith. Here's an example. Faith is not complicated. Let me give you an example of simple faith. I want to read something to you that was given to me 11 years ago by one of our Awana workers. It was written by one of our Awana kids, and if you're new to that, that's a ministry we have on Wednesday night to teach kids the Word of God. It was written by one of our Awana kids, and I never did find out who it was, but I'm going to read it to you verbatim. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this world. Thank you for giving me food and a place to live. Thank you for being with me all the time and creating me this way. Thank you for everything you do for me and for all my Awana members that are with me at all times. Will you help my friend get better? Thank you. That's faith. Jesus, you're amazing and wonderful. You're nice, joyful, golden, and bright. Your word helps me think of you, and you're filled with love, and you're awesome, and just what would I do without you and your wonderful word? Well, will you just let me have a wonderful day at school and home and anywhere else I go? You're always in my heart, Jesus. Amen. I don't think you can get better than that. And that's the faith that Jesus created in the heart of a child. And he can do it in you too. Now more than likely, your presence here means you have some level of faith. But I want you to ask yourself tonight, is it saving faith? Maybe like those shepherds, you need to move from knowing about the birth of the Son of God to surrendering to him by faith as your Lord and your Savior. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, not Savior, Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that means from your very being, you're speaking, you're telling other people that I am now surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that my life is not my own, that everything I think, do, and say, as much as I can possibly know, will be dictated by your word. That's not a life of slavery. That's a life of joy. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and then you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead. Well, how do you believe with your heart? You believe with your head, right? No, the Bible says you believe with your heart. It means your entire being. It's not just an intellectual knowledge of facts. You might be able to recite verses 10 and 11 here, but that's not saving faith. Saving faith is believing completely. Yes, Lord, I believe that you rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what we're doing tonight is meaningless. As I said this morning, I could tell you uh, good news. I, uh, there's been born for you 63 years ago in the city of Topeka, a Savior whose name is Mike Bronson. That would be absurd. And it would be the same with you. You could insert your name there. 
But Jesus was that sinless sacrifice. Only he could die for us. So if you believe that he rose from the dead and you're willing to confess him as Lord, then you can be saved. And you can do that right now. It's not complicated. You can do that right now, right where you sit. If you'd like to talk to myself or another pastor in this church, scan that QR code and fill out that card. We'll get back to you as soon as possible. And I want to encourage others of you, maybe you need to join a church. It's not possible to follow Jesus without a local church because a Christian, the Bible says, is part of the body. Imagine you said, I'm a kidney, but I'm, I don't want to be part of the body. And you put it in a glass jar and set it up on a shelf. It wouldn't last long. Neither would the body. The body needs you. Merry Christmas. It's great to see every one of you. If you have any questions about Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a mighty king. I thank you that you sent your son for sinners like us. I thank you that in your unexplainable grace, you chose to be our Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, for the mysteries that we do not understand. Because if we understood you fully, we'd be just like you. You would be just like us, and that would be terrible news. Thank you that you are a God who has revealed himself to us in your word, but your majesty and your glory is so great that in our finite minds we can't imagine it. And what a day of rejoicing that will be when you come back and we spend eternity with you forever. I thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you for who you are and your promises to us. I thank you for every person that took the time to come out here tonight. I pray that you would bless them in a great way. Give us a good day tomorrow as we celebrate your birth, Lord, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.